I think the four-day work week is to businesses today what remote work was a decade ago. That's Jordan George, head of client solutions at Serium, who joins us for a great conversation in this episode of Bring Out the Talent. Bring out the talent. Bring out the talent. Bring out the talent. Welcome to Bring Out the Talent, a podcast featuring learning and development experts discussing innovative approaches and industry insights. Tune in to hear our talent help develop yours. Now here are your hosts, PTA's CEO and President Maria Melfa and talent manager Jocelyn Allen. Hey, Jocelyn, do you know where the idea behind the five-day work week came from? I honestly don't know, but um, it sounds like you might have an idea and are going to tell me, Maria. Well, in 1623. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right, right? Yes. In 1926, the Ford Motor Company standardized the Monday to Friday work week. Before that, the common practice was a six-day work week with only Sundays off. Then in 1940, the five-day, 40-hour work week became standardized. Recently, the pandemic, though, has caused many business leaders to rethink the way their organizations are working, where they get their work done, and how long a work week should be. In fact, in a recent study involving a four-day work week, results found that employees maintain the same productivity level, but showed vast improvements in job satisfaction, teamwork, work-life balance, and company loyalty. To help us better understand the possibilities of a four-day work week, we are joined by Jordan George. Jordan is an award-winning talent development leader and international speaker focusing on powering people and businesses to achieve their full potential. He is a principal consultant, the head of client solutions at Curium Solutions US, an award-winning business transformation consultancy working with global brands. And Jordan is going to talk about something that we all, I believe, want, the two-day, 24-hour work week. Welcome, Jordan. (laughs) So Thank this you. is a very exciting topic. You and I have spoken before a few times, Jordan, about this very cool idea and possibly about using your organization to help the training associates actually implement this idea because I am very intrigued about it. And I remember back in, it was probably... 1997, true story. And I was up at a company meeting and I said, one day I want to have a four-day work week. And I thought that was just kind of pie in the sky. But here we see a lot of companies doing a lot of studies from UK. So, so welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Very happy to be here. And I think you're right. Back in the 90s, it probably was a bit pie in the sky. There were maybe a few early adopters who had, uh, who had, had led the way with that, but we're seeing it come into prevalence a lot more now, which is pretty exciting for us uh, and pretty exciting for, I think, employees everywhere to know that that's a possibility. Jordan, the last few years have caused people and organizations alike to pivot one way or the other, right? We've seen the most change 
in the organizational workforce that I think we've ever have before. I mean, and that, I mean, that could be saying a lot. I don't have a statistic on that. Don't hate me for saying that people, but really we've had to do so much in making sure that professional development, professional wellness, personal wellness are being considered when it comes to like our work-life balance or our work-life harmony, as we've discussed on previous episodes. So as the head of client solutions at Curium, how do you help organizations successfully address change and help them with those pivots that are necessary to retaining a healthy workforce? Yeah, I think one, it's making sure that they're embarking on the right change at the right time. Just change for change's sake, or because we think we should be doing it, or because Elon Musk said we should be doing it, or you know someone else somewhere is doing it, uh, is is probably a quick way to land yourself in a in a bad spot. Uh, it's got to be right for the organization. It's got to be the right time of the organization's life cycle. I think two is making sure then that people are equipped, educated, and empowered to lead that change instead of feeling like change is being done to them. If you look at what's happened and you reference this over the last couple of years with the pandemic, there were so many times and points where people felt helpless and just kind of at the beck and call of whatever new change was coming next with, with you know, the pandemic itself, with their work, with layoffs, with policy changes. And people are really desperate for a bigger say in the way the organization is going and more autonomy in how they direct their work. So again, it's, it's making sure that they're educated about the change, but also that they feel empowered to be able to lead that change themselves. So what are you seeing some of the ideas that workforces are incorporating to keep their employees more engaged? Yeah, I think the conversation around um, talent acquisition and retention is, continues to be high. It's been a huge focus point for years now, but I think especially now we're seeing just a huge focus on those things. And unfortunately, we're seeing also kind of in a contrasting way, these big cycles of lots and lots of hiring, lots and lots of layoffs, lots and lots of hiring, lots and lots of layoffs. And that is hugely wasteful for organizations. So we want to try to be a little bit more proactive. With the pandemic, we saw this significant shift in the way of working, probably one of the most significant shifts we've seen in, in our lifetimes. And I think that that shows that when stakes are high, companies can move quickly and can make things happen fast. You know, we made strides in a couple of weeks that would have taken years or longer had the pandemic not hit in terms of remote work and getting people deployed to work in from home or from wherever they happen to be. But it was reactionary and not necessarily implemented well universally. So we've got to stop thinking uh, as leaders reactively and how do we adapt in hindsight and ready ourselves for what comes next. I think to answer your question, the biggest thing that I see as a disruptor in the workforce right now in terms of exploring better ways of working and helping organizations attract and retain talent is a four-day work week, which is why I'm so excited to talk about it. Okay. So when did you start getting into this area of in kind of investigating or helping organizations with a four-day work week? I, again, I said I've seen a lot of studies in the UK. So did you start following that and get interested? What happened, Jordan? So at Curium, we've been helping companies do this really for quite a while, um, but just not under the four-day week 
banner or, or with that outcome in mind. So a lot of what we do is around process improvement, helping organizations work more efficiently, cut out waste, find ways to reclaim time and, and energy and resources and money that get lost through inefficient processes, poor technology, bad communication, stuff like that. The difference is that prior to the last couple of years or so, if I could turn around to you as a CEO, Maria, and say, you know, hey, I, I think I can save you eight to 10 hours a week on average across your workforce because of all of these ineffective processes or unnecessary meetings or whatever, uh, employers were more likely to say, oh, great. Okay. So that means I can give them eight to 10 hours more of work, or, you know, I can, I can cut, you know, 20% of my staff, or I can, you know, do this or do that. Now what we're seeing is those same inputs, right? The same, the same types of activities to cull that waste, but with employers being more open to the idea of, well, instead of piling on more work or cutting staff, what if we could give back some of that time to our team to aid us in talent attraction and retention? So we've been, you know, really closely following the movement. Uh, there's been, as you mentioned, pilots done in the UK. There's been ones done in the US and Canada. New Zealand, South Africa has just started a pilot. So it's happening and, and kind of growing into more of a global phenomenon. And with that comes a lot more research, um, a lot more proof uh, of what works, and also some good insights into some of the pitfalls that uh, organizations run into when they're trying to adopt something like this. And this goes very much hand in hand with the latest term we're hearing is quiet quitting, right? Yeah, and quite quitting to me, I think everyone's got an opinion on it, feels like, um, but it's it's really just part of disengagement, uh, not feeling like they're valued enough to contribute above and beyond what, you know, the bare minimum is. And so how do we address things like that? Well, it's the same way we've addressed employee engagement for years. It's by making sure that people feel valued, that they're paid well, that they have the level of autonomy and flexibility in their work that they need, that they feel there's a purpose behind the work that they're doing, that they have good camaraderie with the people that they work with. Um, and so, you know, I don't think the solutions are radical. I think the terminology has shifted. And I think quite quitting in particular is, is part of an effort to sort of point fingers Instead of just saying, like, who cares? Who cares how we got to where we are? How are we going to get ourselves out of this? And we've got to explore some, some new ways of thinking, some new ways of working. Because too many organizations that, that I've seen and that I know of are still waiting for things to go, you know, quote, back to the way that they were in 2019. Uh, there's no going back. You know, we're only going forward. It's just a matter of how much you sink your heels in and drag your feet. You know, you can get ahead of the change or you can fight the change, but it's coming one way or the other. Yes, it made me think of quiet quitting when you were saying how if people can get their work done in four days, um, organizations would think, okay, well, then let's give them another eight to 10 hours. So when I started seeing all this quiet quitting, I just thought it meant that people were just quitting in quiet, <laughs> just <laughs> no show. And, you know, then started looking at it and it's basically, you know, they're just kind of finishing the work that they have to do and, and that's it and shutting off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's interesting from an employer's perspective, and I think it really goes to making sure that you have the proper goals and expectations, because sometimes like one of my biggest pet peeves over the years is just like idleness, because I feel like we always have so much work to do. 
and, you know, Parkinson's law. So if we give somebody, okay, you have to do these two things and they get it done in an hour, then yeah, I certainly have felt like, okay, what more can they do? So then it's, I guess it's my, my problem and my challenge just to make sure that they know what else to do, not to say that they have to fill that time with useless stuff, but I don't think we could all survive on one hour a day for f- four days, but maybe yeah. we can. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, and teams that I've led, I've been much the same way. I've, I've always kind of promoted this idea that, you know, if you can get your job done in 40 hours, great, 32, great, 25, great, 15, awesome. That's on me as a leader. I've not challenged you enough. If you can get your job done in 15 hours, good on you. I certainly don't want to incentivize you to draw everything out to 40 hours just to hit a quota. That just means I need to shift, you know, maybe some responsibilities around or or look at how the work is structured a little bit differently. But that being said, I don't think that I don't think that's in contrast to the idea behind the four day week, which is we can be just as productive. We can be just, if not more productive as an organization and still be able to give some time back to our people so that they can have more well-rounded lives so that they can feel more empowered in the work that they do so that they feel more committed to the organization and more loyal to the organization. And let me tell you, for the organizations that have adopted a four-day week. Some of them have been really quiet about it, you know, because they don't they don't want to necessarily let the word out or they're, they're concerned about what clients may think. Um, and then you've got others that have really embraced it and, and shout it from the rooftops. And there is some incredible free publicity that comes from letting your team talk about how awesome a four-day week is and the impact that it's had on their lives when it comes to things like recruiting. Um, so, you know, I think there's there's plenty to be you know, cautious about, you know, maybe just curious is a better word when it, when it comes to it, but done right and done the right way. And with the right support, we know uh, we've seen proven through, you know, pilot after pilot, tons of research. It can work. It does work. Companies are better off for it. People are better off for it. And as you mentioned, the four day or the five day work week has really been in place solidly since 1940. Think of how much has changed in the last, I have to do quick math, 80 years, 80 plus years, right? We've literally put a man on the moon. (laughs) We've invented cell phones and the internet. Uh, We've we've done incredible things as as humanity, but we are still stuck to this idea that uh, five days, 40 hours is the way to work. I think it's just time to challenge that. Yes, and... Certainly with the woman going into the workforce, that has changed, I think, the dynamic even more than like anything, because now you have, you know, two parents working, you have more fathers that are taking a lot more responsibility, which is absolutely fantastic, but it's just a massive juggling around. So, you know, obviously from a quick look, it makes sense because if you're going to do things to make your employees have more time so they're not as stressed, they will be better employees. But let's look into this a little bit deeper. So, you know, as I mentioned, it's something that I've been fascinated about, and I really would love to see if we could implement that here at TTA, um, because I do see everybody juggling things around, and we do have really good workers, and we've, you know, been very diligent about hiring the right people on the team that we know that we can trust and they're getting work done. And so I I think it could work. 
in many ways, but my concern is again, the, the productivity. So I know after you and I spoke, Jordan, about this a few months ago, and, and I know you mentioned that there's a few different ways that you can handle this. And I know Jocelyn will get into that because she had a bunch of questions, but one of the things that came up because I look at, okay, we have our sales reps working in partnership with our project managers. And they also work in kind of partnership with recruiters, but pretty much we have a sales rep with a project manager, you know, working very closely together. So I thought, okay, great. And okay, great. The project manager could be the backup for the salesperson. And then the salesperson could be the backup for the project manager. So have, you know, one take a, maybe a Monday off, one take a Friday off, but then it made me think, so does that mean that instead of the sales rep working four days a week, are they only really going to be working three or three and a half days a week because one of those days they will be spending time backing up the project manager? So I think your concerns around productivity are probably right in line with every CEO or founder or director's concerns about the four-day week is well, what's going to happen to productivity, especially if you don't feel, I'm not saying this is the case with you and with TTA, but especially if the company doesn't feel like it's hitting its goals as it is, right? So if, if we're working five days a week and not delivering the way that we want to, how could cutting time possibly make that any better? Of course, it's going to have a negative impact. I think it just goes back to the idea that more time, right? More, more time, more butts in seats equals more productive, which isn't the case. And so it starts before we do any kind of decision to embark on this journey with sitting down with the organization to evaluate how well they are already measuring things like performance. How is productivity measured today? Is it, you know, clock in, clock out, hit the hours? Is it sales numbers? Is it, you know, number of widgets produced per hour? What is it? Because you've got to understand and have a really good clarity around how we're measuring performance today. How close are we to our performance, you know, objectives or goals? And then what's the gap, if any, and how do we close that gap? Until we know those things, uh, just saying we're going to lop off a day in the week is is a recipe for disaster. So we've got to get a really good understanding of how the business operates first. Um, once you've done that and you start to kind of learn more about the way that the organization operates and what works for them, I think the other thing that's a common misconception is that it's going the four day week is going to look the same for every organization. It doesn't have to. Um, so as you said, in some organizations, it's a rotating of shifts. So someone has Mondays off, someone has Fridays off or some other combination. For some people, it's 32 hours spread over five days uh, because they can't really afford to shut down a full day of the operation, but they still want to give people back time. Some, some organizations, it's, uh, you know, it is just that. It is, it's what it says right on the carton, four-day week and you've got Fridays off and that's the end of it. But I think it's important for anybody listening, anybody who's considering this to understand that it, there's not just one prescribed way to do this. The central tenant is the same for everybody. How do we help the organization be more effective and more efficient at what it does so that we can not suffer any productivity decrease, not reduce pay, not cut staff, but cut the number of hours worked overall so that we can give more time back to our teams. And what that looks like can and, and will be unique to some degree for every organization. I 
like that we're hitting all of the points, like the pros and cons of this, because I, you know, as an employee and, you know, somebody who manages a team, I would love to have myself and for my teammates to have a shorter work week, a longer work, a longer weekend, work-life harmony, as we're calling it now, I think is like one of the best things about this and projecting it and, and putting it into place. But even I myself wanting it so bad, I'm like, it's so different than what we've been used to for the last 80 years. Or how, I mean, beyond that, right? Um, yep. Because it was worse before it was this. And I, I guess I maybe want to talk about be the devil's advocate here and maybe speak to that aspect of this. Like, what about those genuine concerns about it being so different from what we currently do that how, how long do we need to adjust to this sort of thing? What sort of change management needs to take place? What do we do? How long does it take? How many mistakes before we realize like that there's a momentum. I'm just, I'm, I know I'm being like so raw about it. I'm like, what if that's horrible? And we have to start all over again, but really like, what is, what about the, the trouble and what are, what should people expect to see? How do you manage that? Let, you know, talk about the ugly for a second. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, Jocelyn. No, I think you're just being a realist, right? Uh, that there are, and with any big change, there's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some struggles. There's going to be some, you know, adoption concerns. There's, you know, all that stuff. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong to have those thoughts. And actually, I think it's a good thing to have those thoughts. It's the organizations that are like a four day week. That sounds great. Hey, everybody next Friday, we're off and we're not doing Fridays from now on. Like those are the organizations that struggle and fail with it because they haven't thought through some of these things that you're talking about. So at Curium, what we do is, is what you're saying. We're kind of there to handhold and work, help organizations work through that change. We, we kind of see ourselves as the insurance policy. Certainly there are organizations who can and have made this change on their own. Usually it's smaller, less complex organizations, but once you introduce complexity, once the organization gets a little bit larger once you start to have you know either a board or executive teams kind of pushing back not feeling sold on it you you need some support to help you know push that push that initiative through so we kind of see ourselves as uh, sort of an insurance policy to to help make sure that the change goes smoothly that it's sustained that you don't have to go back on uh, on it once you've made that change because it could definitely I think Maria we talked about this it could definitely feel like oh you've given me something great and now you're taking it away if it doesn't work out so we want to try to do as much as we can ahead of time to prevent that from happening you know Jocelyn some of the things that we see organizations struggle with is not having a clear understanding of, of what a four-day work week really means and again that's why I go back to it's about less hours in the week not necessarily having Fridays off you know, there's, it's about more efficient, effective ways of working, not just working less. I think there's, again, a concern around productivity and, and what that means. So we've got to get in there and make sure that we're measuring the right things. Um, if I can ensure that, you know, your productivity, your performance, your sales don't decrease, then why not give it a try? And one of the ways that you do that, and, and you can help kind of guard against some of the, the cons or the negative things or the ugly stuff, as you mentioned, is doing a pilot. So we encourage all organizations when they're kicking this off to consider it as a pilot, right? And so be very transparent with the team and say, look, we're going to try this thing and we're going to learn some stuff. And some things will go really well and we'll retain those and we'll keep moving forward with that. 
Other things we might find out don't work for us or need to be adjusted or tweaked. That doesn't mean we've failed. That doesn't mean we've done anything wrong. That doesn't mean it's not for us. It just means that we're going to, you know, as with any big change, we're going to iterate and we're going to get better and we're going to move forward. But at the end of the day, if nothing else, if you walk away with some principles for how to make the organization run more effectively and you're keeping people first, you're keeping people at the forefront of the decision-making process because it's what's right for them and what's right for the business, then you're much more likely to have a positive outcome. So piloting it is great. Networking with other organizations that have gone through this or have adopted this to hear their struggles, their pains, at Curium, we're partnering up with Four Day Week Global, which is the international nonprofit that works on um, helping people adopt a four day week. And so they've got fabulous cohort groups that uh, pilot participants can join up and hear some of the struggles and the pain points and uh, you know, also some of the things that were successes and areas of opportunity. I think that network of people is really important too, because again, like any change, there's going to be some struggle points. We just want to mitigate those as much as possible. So can you share any examples that you have seen or heard on, say, a company is hitting their goals and doing really well, and then they go to a four-day work week, and then they start, start seeing numbers sliding. What do they do? Do they say, okay, we're going back to five? How do, how do they handle that? Some have. Some have. And I think that's the initial reaction a lot of the times is, well, we've got to, we've got to stop and go back to what we were doing before, but I'll use remote work as, you know, a parallel, right? Beginning of the pandemic companies that weren't already working remotely now are forced to do so to keep the doors open. So everybody gets pushed into remote work. Wasn't really thought out very well in many organizations simply because they didn't have the time, right? Uh, It wasn't something that was necessarily on their radar previously, but they knew that they needed to in order to keep the doors open. So they did everything that they could to mobilize the effort and make it happen. But there wasn't a lot of research or effort or education that went into that. It was more so just a reactionary thing because we had to adapt. And then you get a year or two in, companies start to pull people back into the office because they say, well, look how terrible that was for our productivity, for our collaboration, for our teamwork, for our culture. It's like, well, wait a second. Wait, you're telling me that living through a pandemic uh, with all the uncertainty that that brought and schools closing down and people having to work with their kids at home and you're telling me that impacted productivity? Well, well, color me surprised, you know, of course it did. So I think there's always that desire that when we're going through a big change to place the blame on the change instead of looking at what are some of the underlying things that are under, you know, kind of underpinning uh, what our real problems are. So when organizations start to adopt a four-day week and, and see productivity slip or something like that, try to encourage them to pause, reflect, what are the other factors that are weighing into this? Are we you know, putting too much pressure on people? Are people feeling overworked? Is the structure that we put in place not ideal for this particular team? You know, a lot of times organizations are like, okay, well, we'll try four days a week, but we want to keep it at 10 hours a day. So there's still, you know, it's 40 hours a week. Well, 10 hour days 
suck. I mean, you know, we've, we've all worked them, you know, we, we do it when we have to, but when that is the standard, uh, that's really tough for people to adjust to. So I think the short answer to that question, Maria, is just we've got to evaluate what the real issue is and not jump to the conclusion that it's, it's the change, in this case, the four-day week, because it's easy to just say, well, let's go back to doing what we were doing before, instead of saying, let's keep moving forward, right, but adjust as we go. And understand that like anything we do for the first time, we're not going to get it perfect right out of the gate. Yes. Well, my perspective certainly changed a lot about remote work. Um, so before that, we had people that would come into the office, you know, probably three to four days a week. And now people pretty much choose how much they want to come into the office and it's it's working fine. If, I, if you asked me that three or four years ago, I would say, oh, I'm not sure about that. And now it's it's all good. So. Well- well, don't get me wrong. And for anybody listening who's like, well, they're, they're off the rockers. It's not right for every organization, every team, every person, and neither is a four day week. You've, and that's part of, part of this journey is making sure that you've thoughtfully diagnosed and assessed where you're at today. Right. Um, so I think it, I think it's foolish for anybody to come in and say, everyone should be working remotely just the same way. I would say it's ridiculous to say everyone should be on a four day week, but organizations that have the appetite to make the change and have the kind of the persistence and perseverance to see it through and be willing to kind of take the knocks and the bumps as you go through it, knowing that it's all in the effort of, you know, moving to a better way of working, moving forward, are going to see some really amazing results and have a leg up on the competition when it comes to recruiting and retaining talent. Very cool. Now it's interesting the way that you kind of spun the pilot aspect and even just like Maria's comment about being a little bit like being more comfortable with the hybrid schedule, the more remote schedule, because we're in it and we're living it. And nobody really had a choice this time, but the four day work week is more of a choice. And it isn't necessarily something that is for everybody the way that it is or meeting people where they're at right now. It's not the right time. But that being said, you all like, it's almost like it's a shorter work week kind of option versus um, a four-day work week option. It's customizable, like, mm-hmm. you know, one size doesn't fit all. So can you talk to us a little bit more about what those options look like? Because in the case of the organization that's maybe saying, sure, four-day work, work week, but it's going to be 10-hour days, mm-hmm. what you know, maybe it's about representation on all five days. You know, what what are the options here? What can people look at when considering, you know, is adapting my work week and work schedule going to be beneficial for my organization? Yeah, so I think the core tenant uh, of a four-day week is 100% pay, 100% productivity, 80% of the hours, right? So we're not cutting anyone's pay. We're going to be, uh, which is good for the employee, obviously, 100% productivity, which means it's good for the business. So it's not one at the expense of the other. It's good for both. But we're going to do 80% of the hours, which basically means we're trying to ideally get organizations to adopt a 32-hour week. Now, why do we call it a four-day work week instead of a 32-hour week? It's a little sexier, right? The the idea of a four-day work week sounds great. You know, when I say 32-hour week, people are still, you know, they still get excited about it, but it doesn't sound quite as cool. But really, that's what it is, is how to, like you said, it's a reduced hour work week. And what that looks like is going to look different for every industry, every organization. So as you mentioned, for some, it's 
you know, five, six hour, six and a half hour days. Uh, sometimes it, it's Mondays off, sometimes it's Fridays off, sometimes it's the middle of the week. For a lot of retail and organizations where you have to have someone on staff or be available five days a week, it's a rotating shift of some kind so that half the team's off one day and half the team's off another day during the week. For some, it's not even 32 hours. They've just said, look, we want to try this. We want to, you know, give it a shot, but 32 is scary. Let's try 36 first. Okay. Let's try 36 first, you know, like dip your, dip your toe in the shallow end of the pool first, get comfortable with the temperature of the water. And then we'll see where we go from there. Uh, and I think that's the, the key thing is this isn't about forcing anybody into a place that's going to cause panic or make people uncomfortable. Like you said, with the remote work situation, Jocelyn, like that was something that was done to companies uh, and done to people. This should be something that's done with your people. And so that means having a lot of transparent conversations about what's going to work best for them. One of the best tips or pieces of advice or recommendations I have for companies that are considering going to a four-day week is to talk to your teams, talk to the people doing the work because they know better than you about what they could be doing differently or what would save them time or where they're wasting time and effort and energy throughout their day. This doesn't need to be a, a top-down decree, although certainly it needs to have executive support and, and you know as the stakeholders and making sure that it's successful. But we really encourage this to be an employee-led effort. Is if you, I guarantee you, you go ask any of your peers, you go ask anybody out on the floor and, and say, you know, could your job be easier? Could you, is there a process that you think has one too many steps? Is there a system that aggravates you because every time you log into it, you have to re-log in with the same credentials uh, that you did, you know, 10 minutes earlier in the day? Or is there, you know, a certain process that you get it three stages in from two other teams that's always broken, you have to go back and correct it, right? Everybody has examples or stories or, or situations that they deal with on a daily basis where things could be operating more efficiently find what those are, right? And that's where you start to strip away some of the waste. If we do that, and we do that globally throughout the organization, then you start to realize that the four-day week is really already there. It's just buried under unnecessary meetings, you know, broken technology, inefficient processes, poor communication, and, and things like that, which we have the power to resolve. And not only will it make the organization stronger the long run, but if we can then use that as a kind of a jumping off point to pursue a four-day week or a shortened work week, people are going to be happier on multiple fronts because their job has gotten less cumbersome and they're getting more time back. And then for the business, of course, that means people are happier, people stay longer, people are more loyal, people promote the business more readily to friends and family members or on social media and they are as productive or more productive. Does it always have to be related to process? Um, meaning that what if you just do a four-day work week and people just are much better at time management? I would say it, you've, you've got to look at, you've got to consider the process, right? And it might be that the process is already pretty good. Uh, and there's not a ton to tweak there and change. Although in our experience, almost every organization we work with to do you know, work like this, we're able to find 20 to 25% savings in time you know, right off the top. Again, the difference is a couple of years ago, the way that organizations would then use that extra time is different than now how we're talking about with a four-day week. 
But I think there is a, a bit to what you're saying as well, which kind of goes back to Parkinson's law, which we referenced earlier, which is work expands to fit the time that we give it. So if I give somebody 40 hours in a week, they'll get their work done in 40 hours. If I give them 32, they'll get it done in 32. If they give them 25, you know, hopefully they can get it done in 25. The question is finding that sweet spot so that it's the shortened time still allows the work to get done. Maybe, maybe the pressure to execute rises a little bit, but not to the point that it causes anxiety and stress. Because if you've got people that are, you know, now freaking out about the ability to get their work done in 32 hours, th think of people in your organization that you, even at 40 hours, 45 hours, 50 hours, they're still feeling so under the gun to get things done and done and delivered on time. Now you tell them, well, I'm, I'm cutting eight hours out of your week. <sighs> Holy crap. Hold on a second. Right. I don't have enough time as it is to get my work done. So that's why I think it's important to look at both in tandem. Because for some people being told, oh yeah, Friday's off now is just awesome, great. I didn't need all this extra time anyway. For other people, it's legitimately terrifying to think about trying to get everything that they do in a given week done with one less day. So how do we help them through that? How do we help them explore where we can save some time or where we can eliminate some waste? so that that anxiety can, can dissipate a bit. It's good to have a little bit of pressure. There's a little bit of pressure to deliver within 32 hours so that we can maintain this awesome perk and benefit, but we don't want it to be so much that people are, are freaking out. So what about the employee that wants to stay five days? We've seen that. In, yeah, we've seen that in some organizations. So in that case, you say, fine, you have the option, but if... You want to do it? I think it depends on the organization. When possible, I think it's great to have everybody on an even playing field. And then you can even, you can even talk about what that does for an organization when we now have a shared new way of working versus some people get to opt out and some people opt in. But we've definitely seen that. And in some organizations, it does work where people basically said, you know what I'm most comfortable with and what I've been used to working in, you know, over the course of my career is five days, 40 hours. I'd like to retain that. And it, for some of us that are listening to that, you're like, why? Why would you, why would you ever want to do that given the other alternative? And then others are hearing that saying, yeah, that's me. I, I you know, don't, don't mess with a good thing. I've gotten used to this. I'm comfortable with this. Let's, let's keep it going. I think it's important to talk to your employees you know, and, and have, again, a very open, transparent dialogue, not a one-way communication, but a dialogue that says, this is something that we're considering. Here's how we think it could benefit you, how we think it could benefit the organization. What are your concerns? And if you've got a high number, a high percentage of people that are in that camp, then maybe this is not the right move for you, at least maybe not at this time, or there's some, there's some other cultural work that needs to happen internally first before you consider it. If it's the odd, you know, two, three, five, 10 people out of a larger group that are feeling that way, then maybe you do consider sort of a, a one-off agreement or arrangement where they, they retain the, uh, the typical five-day week. And we've seen that be successful too. Great. Now, your company, Jordan, is specifically helps like to improve engagement around these ideas and working with other companies to do so, helping them balance change management. Can you tell us, like maybe give us some examples of some success stories that you've had pertaining to, I don't know, maybe something 
one where it was completely seamless and then the other one you had your work cut out for you it's it's nice to maybe talk about both depending on where our listeners are at i don't know that anything we do you know my my managing director is going to kill me if he hears i don't know that anything we do is ever perfectly seamless we wish it was right that's the intention and we certainly try to get as seamless as possible but change is tough whether it's related to four day week or, or anything else that we do, a change is difficult. It is hard to get people to shift, not just what they do and how they operate, but how they think and how they interact with others. So our, our team at Curium really helps organizations accelerate change. We do that two ways. One, it's by helping the business itself become more efficient. So that's process improvement, project management, change management, those types of things. The other side of it is helping the people become more effective at what they do. So leadership development, coaching, culture turnaround, those types of things. And when you can get people and process and and aligned, right, and everybody on the same page, you have a much higher chance of success than, than trying to just focus on one or the other. So without naming any names, the organizations that do really well get that and they have buy-in up and down the chain of command that says, you know, we, this is not something that you're just going to walk in and wave a magic wand and, and ta-da, we've made this amazing transformation. We know there's going to be some work involved and we're ready to get our hands dirty. We're ready to be involved in the change. We're ready to open ourselves up to facing maybe some uncomfortable truths about, you know, things that we thought were working well, but maybe weren't quite working as well as, as they could be. And, and that doesn't mean that we're there to shine a light on, you know, anything bad. It just means we're there to give you a fair and open, honest review of where the organization stands to make some improvements, right? That's what we're there for. So if you're open to hearing that, you're open to making change and you're open to having a hand in driving that change, those organizations tend to do really well. The ones that struggle are the ones that I say, for lack of a better word, want to skip steps. You know, it's like, I want the change and I want it now, but I want to do all that other, you know, fluffy stuff. I don't want to do all that analysis and, oh, that sounds terrible. That diagnostic, let's just, let's just get it done. Let's just do it. Let's move. I think there's, you know, that, that can be challenging because there's so much planning and work that needs to be done before deciding to make a change of this type. On the other hand, you have organizations where it fails and falls apart because of the opposite issue, which is everything takes a committee to to move forward, right? And it's every single step of the way, you've got people challenging it internally. Well, why this? Well, why this? Well, could this work? And, and some of it comes from a fact of just not being comfortable. Some of it can sometimes come from a place of not being a mature enough organization yet to take something like this on. I know, Maria, you mentioned how highly you trust and value the team members there at TTA. I think trust is critical for this to be successful. And so sometimes there's a work that needs to be done ahead of time, just in helping to get the team to trust each other and play well together before we embark on a change like this. It's got to go both ways. The team needs to trust the leadership that this new approach and this new direction is not going to have negative consequences on them. And likewise, leadership needs to trust the team that even though we're reducing the number of hours that they're working, they can be just as or even more productive. When those things aren't in place, that's when teams struggle. 
And like I said earlier, the most natural response when they start to struggle through this change is to immediately say, well, let's just go back to doing what we were doing before. Call it off, throw the towel in. And uh, that's not always the right solution. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you should have never gotten down that path to begin with. But that's why we encourage companies to bring in, if not us, someone like us to help guide them through that change. Because doing it on your own is, is tough. A lot of good information here. And it just, I know I, I go back to one of my first questions that I asked, just based on our organizational structure that I see that they'll have to be because we, I, I guess when I look at my marketing team, they pretty much have their own responsibilities, although there's a lot of overlapping. But I think for them, it would be a lot easier to do a four-day work week versus the people that are working with clients. Mm-hmm. So because then, you know, like I mentioned, if they're going to a four-day work week, but then they have to be the backup to somebody else, is it really going to make them really have like a three-day work week? So what do you see as far as client-facing employees and how you handle that? So one of the best measurements of whether the adoption of a four-day week has been a success for an organization is if their clients can't tell a difference. Or, Or let me put that better they don't see it as a negative. They see it as I get the same level of service I've always gotten, or it's actually gotten better, right? So if the clients can't tell a difference, you've done a really good job because they're just as happy or happier than they've ever been. I hear that a lot with retail employees or customer facing. And it's funny, I went to the dentist um, last week and I promised this connects in. And I pulled up to the door Uh, And I saw that they had on the signage on the door, Monday through Thursday hours, no Friday. And I was like, my dentist has been a four-day week employer this whole time. And I had no idea, right? But think about healthcare. I mean, healthcare is one where you'd think like, well, we've got to always be available at least five days a week. I think it just takes challenging what the expectation is. We've seen Crumble Cookies, uh, just a shout out to them. They're not a client of ours, but uh, they are a, a retail cookie shop. Uh, and they've adopted a four-day week, which I think is is fabulous. Some people that have employees that have to work five days or have to work 40 hours have made pay adjustments to help balance out you know, the equivalent amount of what someone who's able to work a reduced work week would get. So they'll pay people that have to work 40 hours slightly higher to help compensate for that fact that they won't get, you know, a day off or time off. So there's different ways to handle that. But I think it starts by challenging our assumptions around what our customers want and need. I know sales organizations that are on a four-day week schedule and they talk to their clients about it and they've made it clear to clients that, you know, our hours are Monday through Thursday, for example. And usually, again, it's all about balance. If someone has an emergency on a Friday, take the call, right? You know, you, you don't, you don't want to sabotage your business, but the expectation isn't that we're going to be, you know, immediately available on Fridays or that we're making outbound calls on Fridays. It's really just, we're there to respond and, and reply if needed. I think that's, again, the thing where it's important to go back to the team and say, how do we make this successful for you? What are your concerns? If we were to move this way, what do you think or what do you see as potential roadblocks? And if you hear a lot of people saying, I'm really concerned about how our clients are going to take this, then that's where you need to invest a little bit more time and effort. 
That's interesting. I know we're coming close to the the end, but how do employees feel if they do have to take emergency phone calls on their day off? I know like in our culture, our people are, I'm sorry, people are very used to it and it happens a lot, but I feel like, is that going to start becoming a negative thing? Oh, great. You know, I thought he only was working four days and now I'm taking emergency calls on my fifth day. Yeah, I, I can tell you from more anecdotal evidence of, of people I've talked to, they're happy to take the odd call while they're at the golf course on a Friday than they would be to have to take that same call sitting in an office, you know. But that being said, it is a, it is a you know, in seriousness, a, a concern. I think that's, again, where it comes to setting proper expectations throughout the pilot process to say, we've got to do what's right for us. If we don't feel at the end of this pilot that we can legitimately make this work in a way that's good for the people and good for our clients, good for the business, then we've got to be willing to abandon it. But if we can find a way to make it work, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from the people that stand to benefit from this, how we can make it work. And if that means that on occasion you answer a call on a Friday, are you okay with that? You know, or, or, you know, you do have to, again, just like with remote work, set some boundaries and say, look, maybe that means we don't set any internal team meetings on Friday at all. You know, we, we don't, we, we commit to each other. We commit to control the variables we can control. No team calls, no work requirements on a Friday, but if you get a client call, you take it. That's going to have to be decided, you know, individually. But again, it all starts with having that conversation. Okay, Jordan. So as we come to the top of our, of the, I say at the, of the hour, but I don't know how it's, it's beyond that at this point, but anyway, just one final tip. Like if you, if, if you're talking to somebody who's like, this sounds really interesting to me and I can already see how this would benefit me. How do they get started? What is the first thing that they need to do? I'm, I'm biased in this, but I would say seek help, right? Don't try to do it on your own. You know, you want to, you want to get fit, you hire a personal trainer, you need help with your mental wellness, you go see a counselor, you want to embark on a massive organizational change that's going to have far reaching implications for your people and your processes, probably good to bring somebody in who has some experience with it, right? Whether again, it's us or somebody else, I think it's important to seek some guidance and some support. We've seen smaller organizations that have been able to do it on their own. So I, I won't say that it's necessary for all organizations, but I would say 99% benefit from having some support. And if for no other reason than getting to have some insight into some of the pitfalls and, and be able to save yourself some time and hassle and struggle and learn some best practices about what it means to go through this, this process and this experience. And whatever you pay to partner with somebody, you're going to reap back in, you know, not having as much lost time or, or frustration or energy or having to dial it back or walk it back. So I think it's a, a definitely a worthwhile investment. If that's not on the table or, or to maybe step outside and be a little less biased, I would research the hell out of it. And I would make sure you have extremely candid, open conversations with your team about your aspirations, about their thoughts about it, their feelings on it, and give as much decision-making authority to them as you can in shaping what those new ways of work look like. Because ultimately, they're the ones that need to be bought into it. 
in order for it to be sustained over the long term. So they've got to know that they have a hand in creating it. And by having them help set those expectations themselves, there's a little bit more ownership to ensure that it, it really does deliver on the outcomes that you've set out to do. Excellent. And I wasn't going to ask another question, but one final quick question. Do you think the four-day work week is going to be the new work trend of the future? It's a great question. I think the four-day work week is to businesses today what remote work was a decade ago, right? A decade ago, 15 years ago, if you knew someone who had a fully remote job, you're like, wow, how'd you get that? How'd you find your, how'd you wiggle your way into that thing? What's your degree in? Where'd you go? You know, you, know, you wanted to figure out like, how did, that, how did that possibly happen? Nowadays, again, partially because of the pandemic and, and the acceleration of that being forced on people. It's fairly commonplace. It's almost table stakes in a lot of, in a lot of employment conversations is, will there be some degree of hybrid or remote flexibility? So what was a huge talent attractor and retention tool 10 years ago is now just the basic expectation. I think four-day work week will be much in the same way where we are right now in this renaissance of the four-day week where if companies jump on it now, it will be a super powerful talent attraction and retention tool, and it will help them set themselves apart from their competitors. But if you wait five, six, eight, 10, 12 years, I don't know. I think it's going to start to be so much more the norm, maybe not every organization, but so much more the norm that it's not quite as much of an appetizing thing as it is just an expectation. And there will be some new thing for us to talk about then. <laughs> it was three day work say, week. Until that right, three days. <laughs> That's always the joke. If we go to a four day week, when does it stop? When does it end? <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. I know that we went a little later than we were supposed to. Sorry about that, David, our producer. But um, this has just been such an interesting conversation. So Jocelyn will take it away. All right, Jordan, are you ready for more questions? Because it's time for the TTA 10. All right, I'm ready. It's the TTA 10, 10 final questions for our guest. All right, Jordan, let's just get right into it because you know what this is all about. We know what it's all about. And hopefully our listeners know what it's all about, too. So these are 10 questions just to get to know you a little bit better. We're going to put 90 seconds on the clock. And David, let me know when it's ready. Yes. 90 seconds on the clock begins now. All right, Jordan, what is your favorite driving song? Oh, gosh, that's really tough. Um, any, any 80s classic rock um, is, is great. I probably couldn't name just one. Just the playlist. Got it. That's right. Name a person alive, uh, dead or living that you'd like to have coffee with. Ooh, um, oh, gosh, these are tough questions. There's so many. Um, Simon Sinek. What meal would you be totally okay with eating for the rest of your life? Pasta. Easy. <laughs> Who should win the Nobel Prize for being a really good time? <laughs> you guys. Yes. Uh, yeah. What do you think is the saddest Disney animated film? Up. Oh, the house. Right? Oh. Oh, the old man. <laughs> what is two times two? Four. Who is on the $5 bill? 
I worked in a bank for 15 years. You'd think I would know. Um, Jackson? What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, vanilla. I'm pretty plain. City hotel or reclusive Airbnb? City hotel. What upcoming TV show or movie can you absolutely not wait to go see? Ooh, I just saw the trailer for Black Panther Wakanda Forever yesterday. Very excited for that. Awesome. All right, David. The questions are finished. By the way, it's Lincoln on the five dollar. <laughs> I, I literally, as soon as I said it, I was like, "Ah, that's wrong." Um, we might as well dock you fifteen seconds for that. No, I'm just kidding, David. What is the well, final time on the clock? As you know, the guest must complete the TTA ten within ninety seconds. Jordan clocks in at one minute twenty eight seconds. Two Whoa. seconds. Two seconds to split to spare. Congratulations. And let's give him what he deserves. Well, you know that Jordan is joining us from Orlando, Florida, the happiest place on earth. (laughs) Which just got a little happier because he is a GTA 10 champion. This is the man who once created AskJordanGeorge.com, but now it's the whole world who has to ask Jordan George. You're clever, quick, intelligent. How do you do it, man? You've made all the Jordans on the planet proud. Comedian and director Jordan Peele. Pop singer Jordan Sparks, who uh, spells it wrong, of course. And uh, degenerate investor Jordan Belfort. Thanks to your victory, we promise we won't make fun of the state of Florida, at least for the two and a half minutes remaining in this show. Even if you are on your fourth workday of the week, Jordan, take the rest of the day off. You are a TTA 10 champion. Very good. So you that may not know delightful. who's on money, but you can do math. And, <laughs> um, you know, we have officially won a Nobel Prize now, Maria. Yeah. So, I mean, yes. that's cool, right? That's that's straight and, from me. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. Very much enjoyed this conversation. And yeah. let's keep it going. Yeah, Likewise. really good info, Jordan. Thank you so much. Thank you. A lot of fun. Thanks. For more information on implementing the four-day work week in your organization or more information on Jordan and the solutions provided by Serium, please visit us at thetrainingassociates.com. We'll see you later.